Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. So we're back again, and uh, this time we're trying something new, old new. Uh, longtime fans of the show may remember that occasionally we used to do top five lists. <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't always gigantic two-part ratings of every movie in a franchise. Even though that's what seems to be in demand, right? Oh yeah, at least by me. <laughs> in any case, wanted to backstop and do something a little bit traditional. Um, I have had this one in my back pocket for a while, but I was I was really hoping to save it for a really good guest. I think it'll probably would have worked better as a three-way, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to revisit it. But in the meantime, something oh, I wanted man. to hit. Geek Top 5's list of top five enterprises. Okay, so I think the way we're going to do this is uh, because we're only doing the top five, we each have our own separate fives, we're going to give our reasoning as we hit each one instead of doing what we did last time with the Marvel list of uh, waiting until we both set them. Because in this case, there's a chance we're not going to say the same list at all. Speaking of which, uh, a lot of this is probably going to be us describing visual things, which doesn't always work so well in exclusively audio format. So for those of you following along at home, uh, Google Image Search will probably help you out here a little bit. Uh, you could also give it a try at the official Star Trek wiki at Memory Alpha. Uh, however, beware that it's one of those fandom-owned sites, so if you're on mobile, it's going to be covered in banners and ads. Try to use an ad blocker. But take a look at what we're talking about on the off chance. I know Graham mentioned there was one person who listens to this show who isn't a Star Trek fan. Maybe this will help get you over the hump. All right, do you want to uh, get us started with your number five? I'll get us started. The number five on my list of top five enterprises uh, is the refit constitution class, the, the refit enterprise, or Enterprise A, most no notably known from the motion pictures of the Kirk movies. All right, well, I'm going to have to call you out right now, because that's not the Enterprise A. The Enterprise A doesn't show up until Star Trek, the end of Star Trek Four. Well, see, here's the thing. The Enterprise gets refit in between the series and the first movie. The refit Enterprise and the Enterprise A have the same model, right down to the point that literally the exact same production model that they film. So the outside of the ship looks exactly the same. Inside's a different story, different sets. Um, but for purposes of just ship design, I had sort of linked them together in my head. Um, let's wrap that up. Do you have that as a distinction on your list? Well, I will say that I um, I didn't include the movies in my ranking at all, the, the original series movies at all, because I felt the ship changed so much from movie to movie, whether it was a brand new ship, quote unquote, for the Enterprise A, or just like the ship, the basic look of the ship from... Uh, the motion picture to Wrath of Khan is is really different. So I was discounting it entirely because it was like, there's no consistency, so I'm not ranking it. It gets an honorable mention from me. Wow. But, yeah. Okay, no, that's, uh, that's, that's surprising to me. I really feel, I really feel the original Enterprise, like, as an icon of Star Trek. Um, but the classic, like, classic, classic, unmodified Enterprise didn't make it onto my list just because... Frankly, I worry that the design is a little dated, and I think the whole point of the refit of the, of the refit or A, however you want to describe it, is they took what was looked a lot like a toy and made it look like an actual ship, like something that could actually exist in science fiction. Interesting. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and uh, bridge the gap for our non-trekkies here for a, a second. So there there was. 10 years, at least over 10 years between the end of the original series and the first movie, and uh, it's supposed to be the same ship, but the entire bridge set is different, where there's different seating, it, it really looks completely different, and then it changes again for Star Trek 2, but uh, through all that, it's supposed to be the same ship. But if you watch the ship in the movies compared to the ship in the original series, I mean, the outside has changed dramatically, the look of the ship is entirely different. Um, they've removed the big 1970s radar dish from the front, and they've applied a cool blue sort of sci-fi effect for the deflector dish. Um, if anything, it's they've added deck detail to it, so it looks a little more real. It doesn't look like just flat textures. The warp nacelles on the back that on the classic Enterprise were these big 
cylinders with rotating glowiness in front of them have been replaced with something that looks a little bit more like a machine. It's more angular and stiff. Does lose a little bit of lighting there, which is a shame. Um, it, it, it looks like they took a child's toy and made it look like it could really be a thing. So even from the exterior design, I, I really like that. And, I mean, if, if that is what you're interested in, the motion picture does provide a lot of shots of the exterior of the shit. Oh, ship. my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost to the point of driving the audience to, to boredom. Oh, no, almost. Listen, I'm the kind of guy who's into spaceship porn. I love those shots of the like the slow pan over the deck of the ship, but that's all this movie does. It feels like for years you just watch the Enterprise gracefully, slowly pan across the screen. <laughs> It's, the motion picture is, is in a way, it's probably the most Star Trek of all the Star Trek movies, and that it feels very cerebral, and that there's a lot of dialogue, but... And yeah, behind the scenes, it's the one that Gene Roddenberry had the most input on. Well, there you go. That explains a bit. But it's not an easy watch. No, and uh, just going beyond the ship a little bit, the costumes, uh, the uniforms in that one have not aged well either. No, no, very little of it has, unfortunately. <laughs> But I really like the visual design of that ship. I mean, the original Enterprise gets credit of being iconic. You know, it's, I think people who haven't even watched Star Trek would probably be able to point to the ship and go, oh yeah, Enterprise, when they see that, like the classic configuration, the saucer in front, and then the little tube section in the back, and the nacelles or the wing, even if they don't know they're called nacelles because they're not huge geeks, like they'll, they'll recognize it, right? Like that. Yeah. They did something with the design of that ship that just, it, it was just... I keep reusing the word iconic, but it just works. So it's, you can recognize it immediately. And it, it's really set the template for all the Star Trek ships that have come since then. Because it works. Yeah. Because it's a really clever design. And now this version of it is just like the, the tweaked version of it. You know? They, they just upgraded it a little. Now, an important caveat before we move on. Um, I had a real tug-of-war on this spot with my list and also with the the classic Enterprise Redux version that we see in Star Trek Discovery, which is the classic Enterprise supposedly unrefit, but they've redesigned it so that if you watch it in you know the year 2020, it well, doesn't look so silly. Before we get to in the weeds on that, I mean, it's possible that could be showing up later on in one of our lists, so maybe we don't want to talk about it too much right now. Well, what I'm saying is it doesn't show up on my list. It was tied for well, fifth, and I had to I'm go with saying, the refit. It but yeah, it sounds like elsewhere. we're going to get back to it. <laughs> All right. So, what's your number five then? My number five is what I I'm calling for our purposes the Kelvin Enterprise. Yeah. So, yeah. Also known as the JJ Enterprise, also known as the Lens Flare Enterprise. Yeah. So the Enterprise from the the Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, JJ Abrams movies that uh, have come out since 2009. Uh, it's it's a it's I, I there's a lot to like about it. It's a nice looking ship. It's very shiny. It looks very modern with a, a retro appeal to it. There, there's. It's. I, I love the interior of it more than the exterior, honestly. Especially the bridge set. I think it's really cool. It's bright. It's. It's just fun to look at. There's always something going on on screen. There's a lot of cool stations, and people always seem like they're working there. The the decks always seem to have people in them. It's not empty hallways. Now, my point's against it. The reason it's number five, it's way too big. I The, the nacelles, the big engine part at the back of the ship, are way too big. Yeah, even the proportions for the ship. are way yeah, off. The proportions are off. The ship itself is too big. When you read the stats of it, it's, it's much bigger than the original series Enterprise. And it's like, why? I don't understand the point of that. And I mean, I, I, I guess you can't really tell that when you're watching the movie. But knowing that in the back of my head bugs me. It's yeah, like, there's you're no enough reason of a geek it that it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The, um, the original Enterprise was something like, it's it's shy of 300 meters long. I think it's like 280 something. And the Kelvin Enterprise is what, 700 meters long? Yeah. Based on my reading, it's over 700 meters long. I, it must have a huge crew to accommodate that. And, and that... The bigness of it, I think, does hurt it in some areas, like the the what they used for engineering, which was shot in a brewery, like a, a brewery that got shut down for the day so they could shoot Star Trek in it. And it doesn't looks look like a brewery. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't look, look like, like an engine room. room. And that's this is another thing, a problem with the movies 
going all the way through from motion picture to Nemesis, there's not always a lot of consistency from movie to movie as to what the interior of the Enterprise looks like. So you see the engine room again in uh, uh, Into Darkness, and it looks completely different. And I just don't, I don't understand why they can't be consistent with it. It's like, what are the chances they went back to uh, the, the spaceport and they had their entire engine room removed and new engine room put in? Yeah, no, we did hate the original engine room, so maybe there's some, you know, True. maybe some thought to that. <laughs> but I hear you. For better or for worse, there's a lot of consistency in the interior design for a lot of the enterprises. If for no other reason than a lot of them were just redressings of the same sets over and over and over again. Yeah. But it created a consistency to the world that made you feel comfortable, in a way. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a visual language that you can pick up on and read. When you walk into it, well, you don't walk in. When you watch someone else and wish you were there, walking <laughs> into a bridge on a Federation Starfleet starship, and you see, like, the captain's chair in the middle and the two positions in the front and people in the back, like, you immediately understand what's going on. And that was, I mean, the JJ didn't make my list for precisely that reason in that they reinvented so much of it um, I didn't necessarily dislike it, but it didn't have that feels like home to me that I would have expected. No, and, and you're right. I it's probably the most different of the the enterprises on on the list. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very different from from based on any of the original enterprises that could make the list. Anything based in like the Kirk era, it's it takes a lot of liberties, but. I'm happy with most of those liberties. Like, like a lot of it looks really nice, and I can accept that it's not the same ship, and I, there's enough in-universe excuses for why it would be different that I can excuse a lot of it. But the, So I don't mind those differences. It's when the differences don't make sense even within that universe that it starts to bother me. Anyway, Kelvin Enterprise gets on there. I like the blue on the nacelles. But like I said, they're they're too big and they're too weirdly close together. And I think by the time of Star Trek Beyond, they'd separated them a bit more and the, the design changed a little bit. Yeah, and the then, design changes for Into Darkness and then it changes again for the end of Beyond when they get their Enterprise A. Right, and the which proportions, again looks exactly the same. Yeah, well, the proportions I, look a lot more like the classic, like the, like the Kirk timeline or right. whatever, prime timeline? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. But this, it sounds like this is going to be the last time we talk about the Kelvin-verse, so maybe we don't have to worry about it too much. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. What's, uh, what's number four for you? Number four for me is going to be a controversial one. Uh, my number four is the Enterprise D, the Galaxy class, uh, Captain Picard's USS Enterprise. Uh, maybe not as controversial as you think. Eh, fair enough. Um, the Enterprise D, I think, is probably the Enterprise where we spend the most time. It's Star Trek The Next Generation. The whole thing takes place on there, as does the first generation movie, Generations, um, which isn't as silly a title as you think. Just when I say them back to back, it sounds (laughs) a little dumb. Um, The Enterprise D is... The only reason it's on my list at all, frankly, is because of how familiar it is, because it's this place that's existed in my head for so long. I think that the Enterprise D, that the Galaxy-class starship, is a stupid-looking ship. And there I said it. And we sort of fought about it on the podcast before and decided to let it go. But here it is right (laughs) out there. The Galaxy class looks to me like they took the cool-looking Enterprise and they smushed it up. It was this long, sleek thing, and they crushed it together, and they tugged on its head and made it way too big. And it has these stubby little wings. It looks like a duck trying to give birth to a peppermint. Wow, interesting. Interesting visual. I just... I'm going to backtrack again a little bit and, and sort of explain the class of these ships. So so a galaxy-class ship, the, the Enterprise isn't the only ship that looks like that. Anything that's galaxy-class is going to look exactly like that. And the original Enterprise was uh, Constitution-class, and so there's a bunch of those that, that look exactly like the Enterprise. Yeah, the name of the type of the ship. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I'll get into my reasoning for the Enterprise-D later on, but I think... I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with it that the way it looks doesn't really bother me. I mean, put it if you have it later on your list, I mean, do we want to move on and circle back later? Sure, we can do that. All right. So that's, we're going to leave that as a pinholder. I do not like the D. I just acknowledge that it feels like home. Uh, that's my number four. What's your number four? My number four is the Discovery Enterprise. Oh, okay. The one that I had eventually knocked off for the, for the refit. 
Yeah, so it it was a late addition to mine. I was going to do a different one that I'm sure we'll come to later on, but I felt I eventually realized I like this one more. And it, so it shows up at the end of the first season of Discovery and then is in quite a bit of the second season of Discovery. And it's meant to be the same ship from the original series. It's meant to be the ship that Kirk will eventually captain in, uh, I think, 10 years' time. It's got Spock on it. It's got... Captain Pike and number one and so there's a lot of familiarity there just with the the crew of it but it doesn't look quite right you know I especially from the outside it looks to me a bit too much like the Enterprise from the TV show Enterprise and I am not a fan of that ship at all so those similarities so those similarities don't do it any favors where it really wins me over is that bridge set where the Kelvin Timeline movie Enterprise took a whole new spin on it. Like, it had the basic setup for the Enterprise bridge, but it it changed everything about it to make it look as modern and bright and chic as they could. This took as much as they could from the original series bridge and modernized it so it looks good to a modern eye. It looks really... Really cool. I don't know yeah. how else to say it. It looks like a remaster. Like video games do this all the time. Like if something came out on a console like ages ago and it couldn't, it didn't look as good as it could, and you had to imagine the details. Then they re-release the video game later with updated graphics. That's what this looks like. This the bridge on that Enterprise looks like what the characters in the original show must have been seeing that we didn't get yeah. to see because the set was built in 1967. Like, ah, that is a very good way of describing it. Yeah, like all and the all it the was bright... built in 1966. Come on, 66. where's your cred? All right, fine. <laughs> but the like all the bright colors are still there, but instead of just being you know, like giant blocks of flat color, like on the that are supposed to be buttons, like they're just buttons that happen to be brightly colored. Like all the displays that were clearly just an old photograph now are animated. But the display is in the same place, and it's showing the same kind of stuff. It was a really, really touching tribute, almost, to that original set. Like, the people who built this wanted the bridge of the Enterprise to look like this. That's what it looked like in their imagination, and that effort really showed. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I really like about it is that the in the original series, it's got more of a gray feel to it, and there's these red accents around it. Here, they, they made it darker, so it's a bit... You know, the the set looks a bit more black and the red really pops against it. And I can just imagine how how exciting that would be to walk on for the first time. Just it looks really neat. Like that is a, a color combination that has always worked for me and it, it looks great in that show. One of the places where it really loses points for me, there's a short trek episode where Spock and number one get stuck in a turbo lift, the you know, the Enterprise's elevator, and you see how the turbo lift works, and it's so dumb that it it knocks it down so many spots in my ranking just for that. I really hated that part of that short trek. Yeah, they do that in the JJ movies too. We have the shots of this like big open, it looks like the inside of a warehouse, and these big square tubes with the turbo lifts flying back and forth in them. Right. Which Ugh. is which is like I guess they're trying to show that so I guess there's this giant empty cavernous space inside the ship it full of make... rogue elevator tubes. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It looks ridiculous and and it's I don't understand why anyone would think that's a good idea. And there's even an episode of Next Generation where you see them climbing around turbo lift shafts, and they look just like elevator shafts. So what, in in a hundred years, turbo lift technology falls off a cliff? Things like that really bug me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for sure, those are reasons against it. I also I had knocked it off of my list in the end because I thought on the exterior it still looks very dated, um, especially up next to the Discovery, like the the prime ship of this this series, the Crossfield class. For those of you super geeks, um, which looks really sleek and modern and kind of half Klingon almost, and then this big goofy cylindrical toy with that big silly gold radar dish in front. I mean, and they worked on it a little. They added a lot of cool visual effects to the nacelles, and they have these sort of trails now. Um, so they help sort of bring it into the modern day, but it still looks goofy. It still looks like a toy, especially since it's up right against this other ship, which doesn't, which looks like a cool science fiction spaceship. 
So like, I, I liked the tri- you know, I liked the tribute, and I agree with you. That bridge brought a tear to my eye, but it uh, didn't make my list. I can tell you that if we were doing a list of just Star Trek ships, the Discovery would not make my list. So yeah, me neither. That but... that comparison doesn't doesn't shake any ranking for me. <laughs> let's let's go to your number three. All right, my number three is the Enterprise B, the Excelsior class ship, and what? I'm gonna and I'm gonna come out and admit it's kind of a cheat because we don't actually see the Enterprise B for very long. But that class of ship, the Excelsior, we see all over the place on so many different movies and series, and I love that design. The, huh. the Excelsior class ship is like the, the Enterprise, it's the Ferrari of the Enterprise. It's like they took the Enterprise and made it sleek and curved and cool. And it becomes like the the Star Trek ship. The it's it's weird because it's never a hero ship. Like it's never the one our protagonists are on. But I it, mean, like, the closest we get is in Star Trek VI, where Sulu is captaining the Excelsior. Yeah, but even then, it's sort of like he's not in most of the movie. He's a very pivotal part, but most of it takes place on our good old fashioned Enterprise. But the Excelsior design, an undiscovered country, actually, you bring it up is such a great way to like to bring it up because that that movie ends with that cool shot after everything has been wrapped up. It's the Enterprise and the Excelsior flighting, flighting. It's the Enterprise and the Excelsior flying side by side, and the Excelsior flies off, you know, to go continue the mission. Essentially, they're sort of handing the baton off to the new generation. And the Excelsior is bigger and cooler and smoother and sleeker. Like, it's it's better, quote-unquote, than the Enterprise in every way. I don't know. Uh, the, the Excelsior, you said the Enterprise D looks like it's a duck squatting to give birth to a peppermint, I believe, your, your delightful yeah, visual the, was. The, the ridiculous deflector dish. I, I, uh, I would say the, the Excelsior class just looks pregnant. Like, it's got a big lower body to it and I don't know it, it it looks really retro to me like it feels very 80s and not in a good way mm. it doesn't to me it doesn't have a timeless feel to it like some of the other ships do I, I don't know the Enterprise B not not making my list I don't know it, uh, just, it looks elegant to me like you look at it from the side like like that, like what you describe as the pregnant part, like the dipping of the whole section, and then it swoops back up in the back. Like the way the D looks like a duck, I think it looks kind of like a swan almost. It's also helped by the fact that its nacelles are so long. It just, I don't yeah. know, maybe I'm just a guy who likes big nacelles. What can I tell you? <laughs> it just looks well, like it looks like a refined design. It's like some, it, it's like the concept sports car version of the regular cars. <laughs> I mean, the the Enterprise B was never even in the running for me. Like, I, I've got a list of, with a couple of honorable mentions on there, and Enterprise B didn't didn't crack that list. Didn't even come close to cracking it. I mean, it has one really ill fated mission that we see. It's got a terrible captain. And, <laughs> oh come and, on, <laughs> come on, he's terrible. And, and Poor Captain Harriman's a little in over his head. <laughs> a little. And then, and then the, the it ends with Kirk supposedly being killed on it, it very you know ignobly, and uh, I I don't know, it's not got anything good going for it in my books. It, again, I admit it's sort of a cheat in terms of the ship itself. We don't see the B do much, and we don't hear about it do much. I just love the Excelsior design. I think it's so cool. I'm sure there's an entire series of novels that we haven't read all about the adventures of the glorious Captain Harriman and and Ensign. Demora Sulu at the helm, but I'm not going to read them. Yeah, neither am I. The Star Trek <laughs> books have never been awesome. Um, one little bit of inside inside baseball, or just way too deep. I'm not sure how you want to put it. One thing that really strikes me about the Enterprise B is this is the first Excelsior class we see. And this is this is way too deep a cut. But just for those of you who are as <laughs> super freaky about starships as I am, they added sort of I don't know how else to describe it. I guess like jowls to the Enterprise B. Uh, the Excelsior class tends to have a really smooth hull section, but the Enterprise B they added these like big cheekbones to it. I suspect because the scene we see where they, they're in the Nexus, it gets hit by space lightning and they explode and blow off. So I wonder if they just added that to the model just so they could destroy something. Hmm. But it just stands out, and it looks weird. 
Um, and it doesn't, and you don't see that again until one of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine, where they use the exact same physical model for the Lakota, which is supposed okay. to be a cool modern upgraded Excelsior. But again, it has these weird jowls. <laughs> and I just, I would love to sit down with whoever it is. I don't maybe it's Denise and Michael Okuda, and just add the visual designers. I don't think they did the ships, but I mean, they also do the Star Trek encyclopedia, so I'm sure there's they they would know the reasons. Yeah, I would I would love to ask about it. I I can't decide whether I like the class of ship with the jowls or without. I go back and forth. If you're really interested in this, you could go compare them. Compare how the Enterprise B looks to other Excelsior class ships. It just it, it's a weird, strange edition. I just want to get that out there because it's one of those things that always bugs me. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's that. Moving on. All right, I, so my number three, we can finally talk about it, the Enterprise D. That's lower than I expected you'd put it. I am very curious to hear. I, I really think we have the same number one, but we'll get to it. So yeah. the Enterprise D, like you said, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just, you're right. It's because we spent so much time there uh, in our living rooms, but it it's really like coming home a lot of the time. It just feels so familiar. I, I like every part of it. Uh, subjectively. Objectively, I can see it's got some problems. I, like, I still think it looks fine from the outside. I just, I never liked it from the outside, and I always thought it looked a little silly on the inside. This is the one Starfleet bridge that differs a little from the design of all the others, and it's, I mean, for starters, it's got, it's all the beige and wood paneling, like it's somebody's basement in the 70s. Yeah, and then, yeah like, you're right. And then, like, the security officer who doesn't have a chair, who just has to stand behind that weird bench thing that they set up for some reason. <laughs> they have, like, an elevated balcony, like it's an opera hall. I know it's got a name. I just can't think of it right now. But it's... You're right. You're right. It's silly. It doesn't have... It's, like... It's but but you, can keep to make... going, you can keep going with this. Like, the view screen is something, like, 12 feet tall. Like, you see the characters walk up to it and crane their necks up to look at whoever they're talking to on the screen. I guess it's a big screen TV, but it doesn't make any sense. It's taken up that whole thing. It, it, it's, ah. um, like, chairs appear and disappear at random. Uh, control panels appear. Like, there's nothing for the captain to touch half the time. Sometimes he's got controls in his armrests, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes there are little bar stools for other people to sit on down there. Like, space yeah. bar stools, I guess. Those tend to change uh, by season, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. They're, they're, you're right. They're, a lot of times there's stuff there that's only there because they need it for a scene. Like like there's those extra seats near Riker or Troy, and it's just because, you know, the doctor's going to come on the bridge and she needs to sit somewhere. So they had that installed, and then, you know, in later seasons they realized that wasn't going to be an issue so much, so they took him out. But, yeah, I... I can see objectively, like, if you were actually going to design a spaceship, it, there's no way it would look like that. And a lot of it is done just to make it look more interesting on TV. And I don't have a problem with that, because it does look interesting on TV. I like looking at it. It's, it's, I, and if I had the opportunity, I would love to do, like, go on it. There, there was one time a few years ago where they had this touring show of, like, of, of, Enterprise stuff, or Star Trek stuff, rather, and it was up in Ottawa, so I did a special trip out there, and the whole thing ended with an area that was a close replica of the Enterprise D bridge, and it wasn't perfect, there were extra stations so they could have more people on there doing, filling out surveys or whatever, but I felt so good stepping into that, that fake Enterprise D set, just because it was so familiar and so close to what I wanted where where I'd love to be. Like if I actually could pick one of these things to like live on for a month, it would probably be the Enterprise D, just because I I am so familiar with it. And and you know what, I agree with you, and I would jump at that opportunity for sure because of how much like home it feels. But just what it just looks so goofy to me. I and I could it just ugh, I I don't know that we have twenty minutes for me to go on and start complaining about the saucer separation. I was I, listing that as a cool feature in my notes. I've got that as, like, a cool feature of it. How is that a cool feature? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it makes sense if you are a ship that has families on it that you might be encountering dangerous situations. Okay, all right, so you have a ship. <laughs> no, 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 I want you to walk me through the sequence of events. So uh -huh. the ship's coming into a dangerous situation. Right, right. Okay, so what do you do with the families? What do you, tell me, describe to me what you're doing. 
I, I assume, you know, I'm not an expert on, on the schematics, but I assume all of the, the family living quarters are in one half of the ship or the other. Apparently and so, not, actually. Apparently it spans the entire thing, both the whole section and the saucer section. But. Well, look, I would change a little bit about it to make it more efficient, and so you don't have Troy running around trying to get people to one half or the other. Okay, but where do you put the families? Because your options are A, the whole section which has, like, all the guns and all the torpedoes and all the stuff that you want to have in the dangerous situation, right? Yeah. Or B, the saucer, which has no warp engine. So you evacuate... So it's a dangerous situation, so you evacuate all your civilians into this giant UFO-shaped escape pod, and then it can't go anywhere! All right, look, I'm not saying it's the most thought-out feature of it, but it's still a cool feature... It's also completely, it has two phaser strips, by the way, so it can't defend itself, it can't go anywhere, and it's this titanic saucer full of civilians and children, and, like, schools, and the cetacean labs, and the I was going to mention the cetacean labs, too. <laughs> so, so, I, you're right. I mean, they only use it, I think, three times in the series and once in a movie, so it doesn't get much use. Obviously... In the first episode, they really think it's going to be a big deal, and they spend a lot of time doing a lot of time. <laughs> shots of that ship separating. And then it only really happens, I think, two other times in the series. Once in season one, and then in you know the big climactic battle of uh, Best of Both Worlds. But Yeah, they don't even still... bother to do it in the finale. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I think I was doing... In my research, I found that uh, part of the reason for that was they kept they had several different models of the ship and by the end of the series the model they had didn't do the saucer separation part anymore so <laughs> they just kind of stopped doing it they talked about it now and then but it never actually separated again after that oh lordy all right well i could listen we could do a whole other podcast just about saucer separation um <laughs> there there is uh, in my incredibly disastrous solo career while Geek Top 5 was off the air. I did a podcast about Saucer Separation. You haven't heard it. You're not going to. It never went anywhere, but it was an hour long. (laughs) Okay. And it was just me, so let's just... Other features I like about it are the, uh, the the engine room looks great. The engineering set is, is really cool, and that set the tone for what engine rooms looked like throughout the rest of, of the franchise. Um, the For whatever reason, the, what the engine engineering room looked like in the original series didn't stick the way like the bridge set did. Like Everything follows the model of the bridge set and the model of the ship, but no one liked engineering, I guess, so it well, got redone. I mean, they didn't really see the engine. Like, you saw, like, they always implied that the engines were, like, behind that, like, that fencing, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, whenever there was Scotty working on the engines, he was in that one room. Right, yeah. And that, that didn't carry forward. We had the, the warp core, and every every Star Trek show since then, I guess, up until Discovery, has had a warp core of some sort and a room built around it. Was it was it Stella who pointed out that without the help of nostalgia, the warp core looks really silly? I don't know. It was it, no, then it wasn't her. It was somebody pointed out that you're know, seeing the warp core for the first time nowadays. I mean, I'm with you. I really like the design. It's a the yeah. machine with the bubbles of the tubes and the blue <laughs> lights that come up and down it. It's great. In retrospect, kind of a silly prop, but I mean, I'm sure it was amazing at the end of the '80s. And it was probably amazing to be there in person because it's not like an effect that's done in post. So you're standing there and there's this huge thing right in front of you. It must have made acting with it a lot easier. Yeah, I bet. Practical effects. Uh, I love the sliding door that comes down whenever there's a warp core breach and Jordy has to roll under it. I mean, <laughs> every single time. Yeah. Every single time. So great. Uh, it's the, the introduction of the holodecks. Uh, so the ship's got a bunch of these holodecks that became a go-to for every future Star Trek series. It's great. I, I There's so much good that comes with that Enterprise D. It, and, you know, I didn't consider that. It introduces a lot of cool features that get carried on to become very iconic of Star Trek. Um, I'm still not bumping it up my list any. How dare you? Still I a, really thought I had you. No, nah, it's a big, goofy ship. And, and again, let me be clear. I, like, I love that ship, and I love the people on it, and I wish I was there instead of here. But... <laughs> It's still just a damned goofy-looking starship. 
All right, what's your number two? My number two, another one I feel like you're going to yell me at. My number two is the Enterprise C, the Ambassador class. Now the I, a, I Carry on. Yeah. Like the B, <laughs> the C we don't see very often. The Enterprise C features in one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, one of the best episodes. Um, and the Ambassador class ship, we only see these ships a few times. There's like it's in, if This episode is the Enterprise C. There's also an Ambassador class in part two of Redemption, when they're setting up the Tachyon net to catch the Romulans. And you actually see one in the opening episode of Deep Space Nine at the Battle of Wolf 359, which is really cool. That's um, cool. Yeah, so you get to see them like they, they were spending a lot of money on the models at that point. So you actually get to see the ships like flying around and doing cool stuff. Um, the Enterprise C, to me, is what the Enterprise D should have looked like. Wow. Wow. Oh, this is <laughs> going to be the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this this relaunch. Oh, God. It just it looks like they took the Enterprise and made it maybe not cooler, but they made it bigger and denser and tougher. Like, they, it's still squished a little compared to the long and sleek designs that we see in the classics, but it still maintains that classic shape. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It yeah. does have a nice look to it. I'm not a big fan of the the sort of more square nacelles of it, but you know, it's got it's definitely got good things going for it. I but it's only in that one episode. Like I, I don't know. I, again, yeah, it does it doesn't give you an opportunity to get to love it uh, like you love the D. Um, I'm also still arguing with myself in my head. Like I think it legitimately looks tougher. Like, it looks like the brick shithouse equivalent of the classic Enterprise. It's denser and bigger. But I also feel like a lot of that impression I have of it comes from its captain. Um, that she's... episode with the Enterprise C has Rachel Ge- Captain Rachel Garrett in charge, and she is awesome. She's played by, uh, who's she played by? Uh, the name is Trisha O'Neill, uh, who I don't re- recognize, but I wouldn't. I'm not a behind-the-scenes guy. She um, came back in uh, Deep Space Nine as a Romulan. Yeah, go figure. Uh, in any case, she is a badass captain, and I feel like that reflects on the ship. There's that, like, she wakes up in sick bay, and what's going on? And Picard gives her the, oh, everything's fine, don't worry. You know, it's like, he's not sure how much he can tell her because of the time travel element. Everything's going to be fine. And she basically tells him to fuck off. Like she, she gives him, like, I'm the captain of the Enterprise. My ship is in danger. Tell me what the hell is going on. Don't give me this BS. Like, she's awesome. Yeah, I would have uh, I would have watched a show with her, for sure. And she's she's in the, this episode for, like, I don't know, ten minutes or something? But she's really good. And she, she owns the screen. And, uh, yeah, I would definitely have liked to have seen more of her. They, they give her an opportunity to give an inspirational speech to her crew and to give some, like, heroic badass speeches to the next-gen crew. Like, they do everything that needs to be done to establish that she is in command and in control. Um, and there's just there's a spine to her that, frankly, I wish they had transplanted onto Janeway a little. I wasn't uh, going to go there, but yeah, I, I do think you're right. And and I have to correct myself. She wasn't a Romulan. She was a Klingon in one episode and a Cardassian in another. Oh, wow. She's just straddling all the different things. Well, hey, good for her. Um, listen, we're on this podcast to talk about ships, not about people. Um, and I do think that that captain reflects its ship and vice versa. It's probably too intermixed in my head to tear them apart. But the Ambassador class, I remember when I was a kid, you could buy these packs of three Micro Machines brand Star Trek ships. And one of the ones I had was the Enterprise C way before I had seen the episode. Like, I was really young. Like, I don't know that I would have followed the whole episode, but I played with that ship all the time. I, that that is very revealing. Like I feel like that explains how high it is in the ranking more than than anything else. Well, but it's a chicken in the egg, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I, do I really like it because I liked it back then, or did I like it back then because I really liked it? it it's hard to say. Um, I understand that it's a it's again. It, it, I mean, the Enterprise D was on the screen for seven years compared to this, which was on the screen for thirty minutes. It's hard to make the, that comparison, but I just think the design is cooler. I think if Captain Picard's Enterprise looked like the Enterprise C, I would have been way happier. All right, now, can we go to my uh, number two? Sure. I am going with the original, unvarnished, classic Trek Enterprise. Really? Yes. Wow. I think the, the things that you 
don't like about it are all things that are check marks in its favor for me. I, I ha it has this sort of retro sleekness that I really like. I like the radar dish on it, even though I don't know, doesn't make it much sense. But I think it looks good in the that context and. I can make headcanon sense of it. Like, there's, it's not a radar dish. It's a tachyon compression sphere. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, we could techno babble it, and it is the deflector dish. Like, that is the the techno right, babble right. for it. But it's a literal dish. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it looks cool. You know, I think it's got a, a cool retro feel to it that works in a way that the retroness of. Uh, one of the other ships, a, a more 80s-looking ship, the Excelsior, doesn't have for me. Like, that, the, the Excelsior feels very much of its time, and so does this, but it's it's still got a future chic to it. You know, it's something that's definitely very 60s, but still looks good, and I think works in, in a way that that I really appreciate. And, and I understand I'm looking at it through these goggles of the... the Iconness of it, like the fact that it is so well known and, and has been around forever, and it, it is it's timeless, but it just looks really good. And going beyond that, going to the interior of the ship, I I like how tactile everything is. You know, it's not all touch screens. There's buttons and dials, and it feels more. I can't think of the word, but it's just more tactile. Like everything, it's it's got a real function to it. It feels like a working ship rather than something that is there just to look pretty. And I know I was giving all these other ships a lot of credit for looking pretty, but there's something about the functionality of this one that, that gives it bonus points for me. See, and I can't, I can't get over that retroness of it. Like I just, I can't look at that design and not immediately picture it being carried around on wires. And the stuff about, like, the tactile, like, it, it, yeah, it had actual buttons, but all the buttons were gummy bears. Like, they're these transparent <laughs> primary colored cubes that, that clearly just don't, aren't labeled and don't do anything. I, I just, yeah, but, like, I mean, you could say the same thing for all the touch panels in, on the Enterprise-D, too. Like, there's no yeah, labels they, on there. and they Sure they, they do. Are, the L-cars have labels. So they have, like, labels at the top where they're like, you know, this is our astronomy station. And then there's just a bunch of blank buttons. I, I mean, I think we could probably both point to examples. I could show you ones with, like, labels on the buttons, and you could probably show me ones where they didn't. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, like, I don't buy the physical buttons because they that retro future thing. I don't buy. Like, I look at that. I don't see the corridors of a ship. I see a set because it's just these big, plain color blocks in the hallways and just you know, colorful for door for no reason and i mean i understand it's a product of its time i'm not i'm not blaming it but i i think it looks cute not cool oh man i i do agree that there is a sort of flimsiness to some of the sets not to the extent of like doctor who where you can see walls shaking half the time but yeah, it does look like a stiff breeze will knock over the walls in, in some occasions. But it it feels like a ship where there's always people working on it, fixing things. You, when they're walking through the corridors, I feel like you're, you're always seeing people running around with repair kits. It feels like it's a ship that's that's, you know getting stuff done like things are happening to it and there's people working on it constantly and just just trying their best to keep it in the air or in the space and and i like that about it it, it feels everything about it feels more immediate and urgent agree to disagree i, I just <laughs> and the last thing i like about it that i think you're gonna have a problem with i like the sort of twirling fan effect in the the nasal <laughs> in the bustard collectors yeah yeah Okay, I mean, yeah, that's either you like it or you don't. I thought it looked pretty silly, um, but that's a purely subjective thing. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It just, it looks so goofy. Like I picture the soundtrack picture. Like I can hear in my head the soundtrack to Steamboat Willie. When it's wow! By. Like it's just. I, I mean, I like it. I like Star Trek. I do, but. I mean, and that's why I picked the refit for. I mean, when I picked the Constitution class for lower on my list, because it's still that ship design, but they made it look like a ship and not like a Christmas ornament. I I don't know. I just, I still think that you could take that ship, and and that's why it does get remade so often. The basics of it are so good and so solid and so iconic that they keep bringing it back. But they do. They do, and it, it it set the pattern for all these other ships that we're talking about are all variations on that design, for sure. 
I just think the variations are better. All right, now I am almost positive that we have the same number one, and I'm half tempted to have us say it at the same time. <laughs> uh, how do we coordinate that? <laughs> Simple countdown. Okay, so three, two, two one. Enterprise, Enterprise E. e. Of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, my God. The About 10, no, closer to 12 years ago, um, I went out with my mother and we bought her a big 50-inch TV. And the first thing that we did with it when we got it all set up and installed was we plugged in a DVD player and we put in a DVD of Star Trek First Contact. First Contact opens, it has its scary Borg scene and its fake-out scene. And then it cuts to the captain's log, the monologue. Here's what's happening. And there is the most gratuitously beautiful shot of starship porn that anyone has ever filmed. The new Enterprise, the Enterprise E, the Sovereign class, flies across the screen like those stereo- like, like the stereotype of the lounge singer. Like, like there's a guy at the piano and the woman in the red dress like <laughs> writhing on top of the piano. It does that. Like it flies one way and then turns so you can see it from the other side. Like it's so over the top, but it's worth it. Like the reason they did that is because this ship is beautiful. Yeah, and and you know, it's weird to have it as our number one, considering it's in three movies, two of which are not very good. No. And in fact, like I mean, we can argue which is worse, Nemesis or Insurrection. They're both I'm sure pretty we bad. will at some point. Yeah, they're, they're both pretty bad, but Nemesis actually gives the ship a visual upgrade, and I like it even better in there, and I hate that because <laughs> like, Nemesis is almost unwatchable. But it's it's gorgeous. The Enterprise E, when I talked about like how the Excelsior is the Ferrari of the Enterprise design, this is like an evolution of that. It's everything I like about the Enterprise, but it's sort of spread out. Everything's further apart. Everything's prettier and sleeker, and f- like the lines flow into each other. The the technology also helps that they had you know, computer effects were really taking off at this point. So you see like the really cool animated effect in the Bussard collectors at the the red parts at the tip of the nacelles, and it and it just it looks hmm. where the Enterprise the, the classic Enterprise looked like a workhorse like it looked like a ship. This looks like like this is that ship's boss. You know yeah. this is the flagship, and it it really does look good from all angles. It's it's. Uh, one of the other things that I feel like helps it stand apart is it seems like the tradition in the movies when when one of the Enterprises gets destroyed, it gets replaced by something that is basically the same thing. But this is a brand new ship, and it it feels new. Like everything about it feels new and shiny, and and it still has a lot of familiar touches to it. Like it still feels like the Enterprise that we know, but everything is brand new and done in such a way where it's like i want seven years on this ship now yeah yeah like the, like the corridors on it look a lot like the corridors from the d uh just it has movie lighting instead of tv lighting so it helps but places like the bridge which i mean it it looks like if anything it looks more similar to like the the, the enterprise a's bridge in terms of the like they've dumped the big security bench yeah but it's just everything looks like lit up and crazy but also functional yeah. if that makes sense like i believe that oh yeah of course all this works that's where you would put it yeah i mean another thing to that would put it at the top of this list is i i believe it's the only enterprise that we see people walking on the outside of or any of our yeah. main characters another great scene from first contact that, that the whole zero g sequence walking along the hull again i have to wonder if it was motivated by just that they really wanted to show off an awesome new ship design yeah i, I it's a great ship and and you know everyone should watch first contact at least once a year because it's such a good movie such a good <laughs> ship so i i don't have much more to say about it you got anything yeah I, I think we're i think we're just gonna end up keeping gushing <laughs> uh, the fact that we both have the same number one maybe saved our friendship <laughs> maybe maybe we'll see right? can, tune can in next week yeah we'll see <laughs> but uh yeah there, there's yeah if, there's not going to be any debate here we we're come, both come back next week for ship. geek top two and a half when when one of us is gone <laughs> No, no, we can we can both bond over the glorious sovereign class. Did you have any honorable mentions you want to bring up? 
I, you know, I thought about it. I, like, I tried to look at some of the goofier stuff. Um, there's the anti-time timeline, which shows up at the finale of Next Generation, has the refit of the Enterprise-D, where it has the cool underslung phaser and the third nacelle on top. Um, I actually really like that design, like, both because it, like, it's badass, because it's they've you know, retrofitted it to kick more ass, um, but also I feel like that helps with the scrunched-upness of the design of the D. Uh, it sort of ba- it, it rounds it out better, having the third nacelle and a little more depth there, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I that was the only other one I considered, and I had it in my list up until, you know, a few hours ago, and then I was like, no, it's just, it's just the Enterprise-D with an extra they sell on it and it doesn't make any sense and and so disco got added to the list instead of instead of that yeah i don't think it merits its own spot um i mean we're not the only ones who love it because it keeps showing up in like like not what do you call it like expanded universe content like in video games and comic books and like like all of the not quite on tv variants of it keep showing up apparently the terran empire like the mirror universe their version of the enterprise d was that version Mm. Things like that. Like, so a lot of people like that design. So that's fair. And the others, no, I don't think they got any mention because uh, they didn't get any mention. You know, the Enterprise J is right. foreseen in, the, in Star Trek Enterprise is, like, is ludicrous. Um, it, it looks like it's caught in a black hole and it's getting spaghettified. <laughs> I don't know about that. The NX-01, like Scott Bakula's yeah, it's, Enterprise it's, is just kind of weird that we are doing a list of top enterprises and the show Enterprise doesn't make the list but yeah. it really is I mean, not a good looking ship I mean I get it it's a prequel series they're supposed to demake everything but it's I mean for starters they already have that class of ship like it's clearly an Akira class ship just with the nacelles inverted um, but it just it's a boring design and it's not very interesting aside from all the fact that because it's a prequel they can't do anything they have no shields no tractor beam no nothing yeah and I didn't like the show in general most <laughs> of it so there's that one of the things that I kept coming back to as sort of like a goof that I thought maybe I would add to the list was the Enterprise uh, naval ship from Star Trek the nuclear IV. vessel yeah the nuclear <laughs> vessel. <laughs> Yeah, I thought about that, too, but no. <laughs> That's a very funny movie, but, uh, yeah, the cool designs in it are... I mean, it takes place in, in 1984, I think? Yes, I think so, or it's... It, yeah. I think, yeah, anyway, yeah, around then. Yeah, so neither here nor there. In any case, that was our list, and uh, I'm not going to apologize for how I feel about Picard's Enterprise-D. I'm going to stand by those that decision. I mean, I'll, I'll accept your emails, but he's going to be the one that's going to be taking your criticism. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, if other people out there want to yell at me as much as Graham does, uh, how can they go about doing that? <laughs> we can be reached at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5, and you can tweet at us at geektop5. And I'm sure we're going to be hearing from you. Until then, a special thanks we want to go send out to Jamie Ream, the guy who put our theme song together for us. It's pretty cool. And otherwise, uh, until next time, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>